we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. The conclusion of our Mank mini-series, our David Fincher Award Show, is what we are giving to you all today, dear listener. I am co-host Mike One. This is co-host also Mike, and he's going to introduce us to a, another co-host, a special guest joining us today, Michael. Yes, Mati of Movie Marathoners is back, making his triumphant return. Welcome back, bud. Thanks for having me, guys. Last time, also, Mike called me a crybaby for tearing up at the end of Onward, <laughs> I so about I'm that. looking forward to what's coming in this episode. <laughs> to be fair, it was a meta joke that involved a lengthy conversation where I would say you had to be there if, for the fans out there uh, beforehand, but I was certainly masking my own insecurities, but you and I did cry like babies, Marty. We did. <laughs> we did, and I'm proud of it. I am also semi-proud of it, but uh, my upbringing, my Catholic guilt, my my <laughs> toxic masculinity, I had to, to, to lash out on somebody, and you did. You caught some of that. And, uh, I totally was, forgot about that. It yeah. was like the joke in like an old King Arthur movie where they make the joke around the, the round table or something, and they laugh too heartily. You know, it's almost like that scary laugh. <laughs> The murderer's laugh. That's what I pictured happening, and it never did. You guys just looked at me like, wow, that's a really mean thing to say. Here Boy, we- aren't you a dick, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I felt like a dick about that for nine months, and I uh, I understand you calling on it, me, call me, calling me on it today. But, no, uh, no, I appreciated it. It's, it, you know, you have to know somebody on some level to be able to tease them like that. So I appreciate the, uh, the comfort. <laughs> well, we do have a prior relationship here. I did come on your show uh, early in the winter to do the best of the best pictures, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, uh, of the last 10 years, that is, and the social network was involved in that, mm-hmm. something Mike and I just reviewed. And, and last week, I was on your Hillbilly Elegy episode, uh, which was kind of some perverse fun because we yeah. – we trashed that movie, and I don't want to like hating something that much, but I kind of like that episode. Yeah, that was an awesome episode. I mean, even if you didn't watch Hillbilly Elegy, <laughs> I think it's my unbiased opinion that your listeners should check out that episode. Yeah. Because we also talked a lot about like why movies like Hillbilly Elegy don't work, and I, I learned a lot. I was so angry that I couldn't speak and, and join you guys for that. I, I, I just, I was furious. I had so much to say, but yes, you guys uh, held down the fort, and I agree with Marty there. Everyone should definitely go check that out on the movie marathoners on movie marathoners uh, feed. We need to be correct about that. But Marty, uh, you're ready for today. You did an awesome top five Fincher film show with Munson's at the movies, and you do have your Mank review coming up soon with Matt Neglia of Next Best Picture. So you yourself have also been studying. David Fincher these last few weeks and our people should definitely check out your work. Uh, Why don't you tell everyone real quick where they can find the work you do for movie marathoners. Yeah, you can keep up with my show by following me by following me on Twitter at Movie Marapod. And you can just find our episodes. They're released weekly on Wednesdays, wherever you listen to MMO by searching for Movie Marathoners. Perfect. All right. Awesome to have you back, buddy. Good luck today. Uh, For the record, (laughs) though, (laughs) this is a bit of an experiment for us because, Mike, this is, I think, the first time we're having somebody come in and sit in on this absolute ridiculousness that you and I do in these fake award shows. I'm thinking of trying to think of an analogy where, you know, you're, you're 
bringing somebody into your weird little world, like you mm-hmm. just said. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we should have company at this moment, like in our weird <laughs> little house, but we're having company at this moment. And I'm very nervous. All right. So uh, explain a little bit why you're doing this to poor Madi and what way did he piss you off to have to suffer this fate? <laughs> and what exactly do you have planned for the both of us? Well, Madi seems to be a glutton for my punishment based on the Onward <laughs> As episode. we just talked no, over. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think he handles the weird pretty well after Onward, after Hillbilly Elegy. I just think it's been an accelerated relationship between he and I because of the movies that we have gone through, because of the emotions that we have shared. So, yes, he's in for a strange project today a project that we end every series we do with our, our homemade award show and i'm gonna ask a bunch of strange questions that are half nonsense and and half serious so like mm-hmm. yes mike you said in the pre-show today there is a supporting actor category so even though i'm stretching the bounds of call you know what an award show is there is supporting actress there is supporting actor we can celebrate the Fincher filmography we can celebrate the superlatives of this bank miniseries but it's gonna get weird there is no more serious endeavor than what we are about to embark on in this episode. I agree with what you're saying there, reading between the lines. So, so Marty, in advance, uh, we ask your forgiveness, but you have been prepared in a way. You have looked at these categories over the past two days, and now is your chance to be honest. Was this at all what you expected? Or do you now, and rightfully so, think much less of us? I mean... I can honestly say that if you gave me a thousand guesses, I would have never been able to come up with some of these categories. I I was expecting the best supporting actor performance, but there's a couple on here where they made me laugh. So I love them. I'm ready to go. And I honestly could not think any less of you guys than I already do. So we're good. Perfect. Absolutely. I I really love your podcast. This is... This is great. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Thanks. Well, well, we appreciate you being here in all seriousness, and thank you for uh, sharing this this day with us. Michael, you are going to be the master of ceremonies here. I will pass on my hosting duties over to you in a moment after I say that, uh, yes, we still have two sections of this show. Part one is going to be spoiler-free, as mostly all of our episodes are for all of these films, and part two is going to be something a little different than usual. Uh, it's going to be a possible spoiler section. In other words, we're going to try and not spoil these Fincher films, but it's kind of difficult to talk about all our best scenes, and that's going to be a best scenes and best plots second half. You know, it's hard to talk about all that without giving away certain clues, so we'll we'll let you guys know. Right, so if you're a spoiler-phobic person, you might want to stay away from the second half of this episode, but we will warn you all of what we give away in our show notes of this episode, and we will, of course, remind you all of when that section begins with a spoiler warning. So, Michael, take it away. All right, we're going to open things up by giving people the full Fincher experience. So before we get into all these kooky-ass awards, as promised, I wanted us to talk about some of his music video uh, videography there from the 1980s, from the 1990s. We talked about it in our our production profile of the Social Network work episode, Michael. And we're going to each give like a minute or two and just rant slash review a David Fincher directed music video. Um, I think our choices of video are going to reveal a lot about ourselves. And I'm very embarrassed of mine, but I'm also not. Uh, I was going to say, I don't like what that means. <laughs> no, I definitely think it, it, tell, it tells the whole story. About oh, all right, good. Perfect. Uh, Marty, you have a cu- cool video here that I do remember. And uh, please g- give us that uh, one to two minute rant to start us off here. 
All right, so I'll just have to start off by saying that I am by no means a music critic. I'm not even a music aficionado, but I am going to do my best here. The video that I chose was only by Nine Inch Nails from mm. 2005. Yes. And even though this was, what, 15 years ago? This is Fincher's second-to-last music video. So mm. most of his movies, or most of his music videos, 56 credits, they were from 1990 or earlier. I think it's almost like he found something better to do in the 90s and the 2000s <laughs> than Go direct figure. music videos. Mm. Yeah, not sure what that is. But... Um, <laughs> So Only is a song about isolation and introversion. That's my deep analysis of <laughs> Only. I, I don't know, man. It's it's dance rock. It's pretty angsty. I think it's a solid song. Uh, I would have liked it when I was in my My Chemical Romance phase if I had known about this uh, song at the now time. Now, when you say when you were in, you mean so currently you were <laughs> yeah. okay with it? Because I haven't left that phase, and I resent he people grew that grew out have. of that phase, Michael, like <laughs> oh, a normal not, person. Not Not familiar with that, yeah. <laughs> I was born in it. I was molded by it. I'm still in it. It's been a 25-year phase, but maybe someday I'll get out of it. Um, but the music video, it starts by focusing on a handful of items on a desk. There's a computer. There's those Newton balls, a cup of coffee, and a pin art. And then as the music begins to play, the Newton balls, they start to move. The cup of coffee ripples like in Jurassic Park. The screensaver starts to do that thing that screensavers did in the early 2000s. Remember? Yeah, you know, random, I don't know techno things going on in it mm -hmm. and then most notably the pin art starts to do the black panther technology so props to fincher for predicting that and trent reznor's <laughs> face he pops out and he starts singing in the pin art um and i mean you know the entire music video then is just shots of these office items rocking out to only by nine inch nails <laughs> i think the production design it's sleek it's pristine it has that clean and slick polished feel that you get from most Fincher things so it feels very Fincher perfectionist and there's clearly a lot of craft involved but that's not going to stop me from giving it the fine I'll direct this music video if you write the score to my next four movies award <laughs> <laughs> love it and I love that video too I just watched it before we hit record today and I remember that from back in the day but I mean call me old and you're going to call me old in a second but Call me old, but that desk looks like it could be a, my desk right now. I mean, I, maybe I don't get fancy with the, uh, you know, the the the, the little a coffee uh, cup there like they do. What is that thing called underneath the coffee? It's what is that thing? Tea coaster? Coaster? Yeah, no. There's there's like a. You are old. You forgot the word for coaster there. It's not a coaster. There's a special you know name for it that civilized persons, unlike the three of us, would would use. It, uh, Tea, teacup something. You know what I'm saying? A saucer? Saucer. It's a saucer. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, There's yeah, a yeah. saucer <laughs> under the coffee cup. Who the fuck is going to use a saucer under their morning coffee uh, <laughs> who's in quarantine right now? Not us is what I'm trying to say. Otherwise, it l looked like a believable office uh, setup today, and it's and it's perfect CGI. Like, that CGI lasts I mean, I think I think it holds up to, to today's standards by by all means. True, but also doesn't it kind of seem like Fincher just placed some objects on a table, directed <laughs> the shit out of them, and now he has nine inch nails on his speed dial? Because that's what it feels like to me. <laughs> he but, was I at mean, the I've already mastered a couple films section of his life, and he's like, I, I don't need to do. This. He, I'm doing this as a favor to Trent more than anything at this point. Yeah, and I mean, bottom line, it's a solid song. Uh, it made me want to play with a pin art again. I haven't yes. done that in a while. And it got us to score to the social network. So I'm a fan of Only by Nine Inch Nails. 
uh, as am I now. Michael, I am also a fan of your song. And uh, like I said, this encapsulates who you are. What'd you pick? Uh, I, I went with the how about the why. This is just talk about angsty and not leaving a pastime <laughs> in music. Like, how about the why music videos could still matter award from Madonna's Vogue? I mean, you're right. It does reveal everything you need to know about me, but I'll expand on it nonetheless. It's in the conversation for most famous music videos of all time. I mean, if you just say the words Madonna and Vogue, people are going to think start thinking in black and white anyway. But the ceilings it shattered in areas should provide hope and motivation for music videos to maybe come back someday for more reasons than being just the stylized, thinly veiled infomercials for cell phones they've become in the age of YouTube. I mean, first of all, Fincher. Okay. Second of all, the basis for the video helped to highlight the Vogue dancing style, which I, and I was doing research on this, was popularized by black drag queens in Harlem's in the early 1960s. So here you have arguably wow. the biggest musician on the planet at the time with one of the will-be biggest directors in the world years later dedicating an entire music video in an era where music videos actually mattered uh, to the LGBTQ plus community some 30 years prior to today during a time when most such members were still being demonized by and large, by uh, popular media, on the heels of the AIDS epidemic of the 80s. And, I mean, what does Madonna do to answer this? She not only pulls no punches about advocating for being an ally for the community, she even has this as her first music video of hers to debut on the BET network. So, never mind the glass ceilings Madonna shattered as a female artist, doing it with this video specifically, and Fincher being a part of it, being at the helm of it, uh, it's become iconic in a lot of different ways. Uh, just to go on and tell you a little more about this music video, Wikipedia is going to tell you this was the number two video on MTV's Top 100 Music Videos Ever list oh, from wow. 1999. It was number five on MTV's Top 100 Music Videos That Broke All the Rules list from 2006. <laughs> In 2019, it helped her become the first female artist to ever have the music video reach over 100 million views which was for each video which was made in four separate decades. And wow. all of that, you know, take the, I think, obvious arguments for cultural appropriation that can be made aside. The fact that we're still talking about this video 30-some-odd, 20-some-odd years after its debut and it's still ranking on these lists shows the power that music videos could have, and I just miss them. Amen. And uh, I agree with you. I, th I think this is another video that could play well today, and it's another song that doesn't sound all that far off from the, the pop songs we get now. And again, maybe I'm old and dating myself and I don't know the difference. Oh, we're anymore. old. We're old. Marty's laughing at us right now and he's just <laughs> nice enough to do it off mic. We're old. Yes, both of your picks were still cool. And I, I stand by it. And they do mention, uh, Madonna does mention Betty Davis at the end of your song, Michael. We love you. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was perfect. Uh, I did not pick a song that is still cool, even though I think the people in it are very cool. Oh, how dare you, well, sir? How listen, dare you? This song's a little dated, but that's also why I picked it, because I'm giving this the... I danced to this when I was like five years old at a wedding award. I remember this. This is like one of my first memories that isn't sandwich related here. So, okay, good. Four four years old in 1988, a million family and friend weddings, late 80s, early 90s there. And I used to dance like a fool with aunts and cousins. And I remember my, my second cousin, Monica, and my aunt Kathy and I, you know, dancing to this Paula Abdul song. And I remember this playing on VH1 and MTV 
throughout the early 90s when I was a kid growing up and just kind of sitting in front of the TV watching it. Uh, this is not Paula Abdul's best song, but it is catchy. And, you know, for Fincher, I think it's one of his most stylish videos. I watched like 15 or 20 to get ready for this. I just had a ball doing it. And this one stood out to me. I mean, there's this purplish blue filter, right? on the camera and i think he's going to make a living with these huge filters on his cameras throughout the uh the 2000s and it's definitely something he got away from with mank here couldn't do with mank but he does it throughout all of these movies we're going to talk about today but look i mean he's great and he's great at it in the madonna video he's great uh, as a showcaser of you know these musicians and their look and their style, and they, he basically just puts a camera on them and he lets them do their thing. And just like he, you know, Madonna's dancing with her hands, like before, mm-hmm. like it was. I'm doing it right now in front of my microphone. You can't see that. Mm-hmm. I probably should not be on a podcast. <laughs> I probably should get on YouTube, Mike. But anyway, this is a great dancing video. Like the athleticism here is terrific. It's not sleazy dancing like your perverse video, Michael, which is still good. But this thing again, how dare you? Sleazy. Nobody's wearing any clothes. Paula Abdul is wearing like this marching band outfit. And it's this suit, and it's just so cool. And she's dancing in silhouette, and she's got like this Rosie Perez from the Do the Right Thing intro thing going on. But then she's also doing these simple moves with her hands on her hips fists on her hips and rolling her shoulders down as she shuffles sideways like a crab i think it is the coolest move that i've seen that i that i don't want to admit is still cool so who was the better dancer in 1988 uh, apollo abdul or a four-year-old also mike well, I think I tried to replicate her tap dance at the beginning of this, but naturally, I, look, I mean, it's not close. It was a four-year-old, also Mike, but that's not her fault. No, I, no, of course, Paula Abdul is incredible. She's always been an incredible performer, and I just I grew up on her music. And it's, what's what's also cool about this video is Jimon Hansu of Gladiator, Shazam, everything that's going to come out in this next year. Mike, like all of his movies got mm-hmm. bumped. Like we were talking about him. He's going to be in everything. And she's sure. singing about him in this video about being in love oh. with him or whatever. I don't oh, know. Wow. But it's, I'm just really impressed with this. She is such a star. She's got trademark move after trademark move. And I, I, I highly recommend Paula Abdul's Straight Up. Everybody go watch it right now on YouTube. You can go down a vicious Paula Abdul spiral too, <laughs> because if you start down the Paula Abdul music video rabbit hole, you end up talking about like dancing cartoon foxes or whatever that thing was in the step-by-step video as well. And uh, nice. that'll get you places. So I, I agree. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we did that, though, because I wanted to give the folks a full Fincher experience. And uh, let's get into our kooky ass awards right now. And again, non-spoiler section here. Let's keep going with the music uh, question. Or let's start with music questions, because that's where we left off. Madi, you are running a marathon. Oh, God. Which Fincher movie music soundtrack score do you run to? The Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross original score from The Social Network. The right. music from Fight Club featuring the Dust Brothers, the Pixies, etc. All the 60s and 70s California sounds from Zodiac, like Hurdy Gurdy mm. Man, etc. Mm-hmm. Great credits for that movie. Or the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo score and soundtrack with Led Zeppelin and Ooh. again Reznor and Ross. Oh, it's got to be Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score from The Social Network. Mm. It, wow. is, um, it is just such a good score. <laughs> I think... Um, Specifically for marathons, what I don't want is I don't want pure 
lyrics and music going on the entire time because I actually do want to like get into the environment of a marathon and and hear the crowd and see the people and stuff. So I think that the score for the social network has actually a good blend of pretty lull background noise for most of it, but then it gets these really intense moments. Like you've got the, uh, I can't remember what the, the name of the, the, um, pieces but it's got this loud explosive energy and then of course there's the kind of riff on the the classical music piece during <laughs> the rowing scene with yes. the Winklevi all of that stuff will give me these little bursts of motivation and I feel like any of these other ones man you start off with something like the girl with the dragon tattoo and it's got that immigrant song at the beginning I'm running like a five mm. minute mile for the first mile, and then I'm going to crash and burn. I remember, I'm going to start to remember how that movie is just mega depressing, and it's not going to go well. You could tell how, like, not used to running any distance I am, because as soon as he was like, you know, when you're running a long distance, you want to kind of feel it. I'm like, oh, that makes sense for someone to do who would do that. Well, let me be clear. When I'm just going out for a regular run, I like to get inundated by podcasts, but just in, like, an actual marathon, you know, it's that once, hopefully, if you're not a crazy person, once a year at most, but, you know, for me, once every couple of years kind of experience. So I'm going to enjoy it. When I first started coaching track, I, I'm a sprinter's coach and I, I sprinted and I never really ran the long distance races. And like that first month where I was coaching, I would really yell at our distance runners to get going in the opening of, of their longer races. And I remember being so embarrassed when a distance coach we had, who I really respected. He's like, you, you know that these freshmen are listening to you, right? And you know, you're ruining every single one of their races by telling them to hurry up. Early. I mean, they should get out, but they don't need to listen to your dumbass sprinting them out front. But okay. That, that makes perfect sense. I, I, I we have, Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Zuckerberg, running through his campus to start that movie. And uh, I, I, I respect that, Marty. Now, Mike, I have almost the same question uh, for mm-hmm. us now. Uh, you and I are competing in a hot dog eating contest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which yep. movie music do we listen to to defeat the other? The Social Network, Fight Club, Zodiac, uh-huh. The Girl with the Dragon uh-huh. Tattoo, the same you know, uh-huh. uh, nominees. Well, along the same lines as Marty's thinking, uh, you can't be too hyped up when you're downing hot dogs because that's a one-way ticket to indigestion. You see, so you can't you can't have that. Uh, I think the Social Network is the answer for this too, but not for anything mm. to do. It's purely for cheating reasons because it'll make me cry. And that'll sob and soak up the the bun. And we all know like Kobayashi does. If you dip the bun into the water, it goes down easier. So I think that's an easy way to cheat and win. But it'll be the Social Network soundtrack for me, too, then. That's a disgusting answer. I would would pick the girl with the dragon tattoo because I think it would psych you out, Michael. Because it is full of dread and evil and (laughs) a lot of things. And I think... You would have more of a... Oh, so in your mind, we're going head-to-head in this circumstance? I just think you... I am score deaf for the most part, and I think Mm -hmm. I could block it out and just enjoy the hot dogs. Gotcha. Like, I wouldn't even dip it in water. Like, I don't want I don't want gross hot dogs. I just want to eat the hot dogs. I would I want the topping. I want it all, but I'll I'll gradually beat you to death, whereas I think you will quit after trying all your watery hot dogs and listening to that (laughs) music from hell. what we're saying is my next marathon Marty runs, we're going to be the guys at the finish line with like the pizza. Being like, oh, you did great, sweetie. <laughs> you don't want us there, Marty. No, I, I just want the support. And I mean, if you give me a hot dog at the end or a pizza, that'd be great. Although the first time I did a marathon, 
I got like a free beer at the end and I thought that was going to be so good. And it was the worst beer I've ever had. I took like one sip and I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to die. I'm going to throw up. So I just, Oh really? Like, yeah. I just couldn't do it. Cause aren't there people that do like beer mar- marathons oh, yeah. or beer miles and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it was just like after running for, you know, three hours or whatever, I was just like, the last thing mm-hmm. I want is a beer and I just couldn't handle it. So Jesus, the whole myth about blood doping, because I remember like pre-blood doping for uh, cyclists and whatnot, they would take breaks in between the stages and like drink a lot of beer and that would help them. Is that something different? I've never once heard that. That sounds no. like a myth, man. No, I don't know. Maybe. Sounds like a myth. <laughs> it's because Madi's a true and genuine athlete. He doesn't need to cheat to yeah. get ahead like somebody who cries into their hot dog bottles. Look, I used to have 100 meters in me. I used to have 100 (laughs) meters in me. Now I got like 10. I'll get off to a good start. That's about it. But so I'm I'm very clueless at this, uh, (laughs) which is embarrassing to admit as a track coach. Guys, (laughs) next question. Uh, In 40 years, (laughs) when they make a movie about the writing of one of these Fincher films, which one do you, which one of these Fincher films do you want to see that movie made about the writing of one of these movies, Mike? So if they're going to mank one of these. If they're going to mank one of these, Marty. Yeah, so. Mank one of these movies. Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty funny if they manked Mank, but um, <laughs> I think insofar as like an actually interesting film, it's got to be Aliens 3 or Aliens Cubed, like I like to call it, because they raised that three up there. And I think it just has such a tumultuous <laughs> screenplay history. Uh, there's so many directors and writers that were attached. I think at one point um, it was going to be like on a wood planet. I don't even know what that sure means. was. But wood planet is a <laughs> phrase in the Wikipedia article. So I'd like to know where that came from. It's like, yeah, I guess we can't light any candles here, huh? Yeah. Uh, I, I think Madi's absolutely right just because of the, the history. And Fincher's been on record about saying how much disdain he has for that project in general, looking back on it. And it's certainly the one that seemed like it had the most notorious writing process out of any that Fincher's done thus far, I would say. I am very glad you guys chose that one. I think that's the correct answer. Yeah. And that's right. I do weigh in like a god of these award shows. Like <laughs> and like, that's correct or that's incorrect. I'm, I'm, You're I'm Oscar monster. for this. Yeah, everyone's yeah. always asking. We're Oscar. Yeah, I got you. I'm a monster. All right, guys. Finch, serious question for once here. True or false? Fincher's best adapted screenplay is The Social Network. True. Some good, some good options. All right, so you said true. Yeah. No one does sharp banter like Sorkin. Mix that with Fincher's colder style of directing. And for this story, it's just chef's kiss. This movie makes writing a screenplay seem so easy because everything just works. Not to be redundant, but I think I have to agree with Madi again. Yes. And yeah. it's something I wanted to bring up. <laughs> something I wanted to bring up when two we were for doing two. the social network. Is it just the the most loaded behind-the-scenes assembly of talent that we've seen in, like, a decade or so. Like, Sorkin's the master of the the written word and this dialogue. Fincher, we all think, is the master of a billion different things, you know? I mean, Jesse Eisenberg is a guy on the the come-up. Andrew Garfield was on the come up until whatever the hell happened to him. I mean, I'm still, I'm hot and cold with him, but like, I just think it's like just a really unique collection of talent. And it's, you're right, Mike, there are a lot of great options, but I, I think Madi nailed it again. So if we had any of those adapted screenplays, if any of them were for some reason original, they would probably have a leg up on this original category, but we do have some good original screenplays as well. So what is Fincher's best original screenplay? I have Mank, Panic Room, The Game, or Seven, Marty? It's got to be Seven 
for me. I mean, granted, I have not seen Panic Room. It's the only Fincher film that I have not seen. But Seven mm. works on so many levels. I think the most important of those levels being it is just incredibly entertaining. It has a brilliant elevator pitch concept of the seven deadly sins. And then I think it has a perfectly executed twist. So my my money's on seven. I, I can't disagree. Uh, there's going to be a come a time where I'm sure I'm going to yell at Marty and you, Mike, for coming up <laughs> with the question in general. But yeah, I mean, I, to me, look, Pan, I think the other three here are or will be historically underrated and i know that's a wholly separate question that you have in a different category but seven to me is like the one that sticks out that's like this is arguably the best movie not only of the year it came out but it's one of the like tentpole movies of cinema so i rewatched the game last night and that movie so good is no, but that movie is batshit. Can we just Oh, yeah, say it's bonkers. It's it bonkers. Is ba- what is the movie with Ben Stiller and Malin Ackerman that I hate, Mike? What is that movie? The Heartbreak Kid? The Heartbreak Kid is the game. That's what the game is. It's wild. <laughs> wild analogy out of the gate by you there. Anyway, the other three, I would I would love to see another of the other three. Like, give me a thriller on the level of Panic Room. Give me a serial killer movie, movie on the level of Seven. And, yeah, I, I think I would agree. Seven, uh, you know, hedging out Panic Room and Mank there. All right, next question here, guys. In 40 years, they make a movie or miniseries about the production shoot of one Fincher film. Which one do you want, Marty? I just want to see the pissing contest between David Fincher and a bulked out of his mind about to play Batman Ben Affleck just <laughs> bitching about a baseball cap that one of them wants the other to wear in Gone Girl. So that's my answer. Just make me wear it. Go ahead. Make me wear yeah. it, guy. The other one shuts down production. One wants to shoot the scene a billion times. The other one's refusing to come out of his trailer. Uh, I think that's a very good choice, and it goes. It would uh, lend itself very easily to being cinematic in the drama of it. <laughs> as far as the question for me, Mike, if the if the movie were to encompass the release, the reaction, and the fallout from there as well, I think Fight Club would really be fascinating. I mean, you have yeah. Fincher going back to Fox after what happened with Alien 3. You have a lot of arguing over a budget. You have a major financier threatening to back out. You got a shoot that lasts four months. Fincher supposedly shot 1,500 rolls of film for it. The executives at Fox hated it when it came out. There was a rumor. It was never confirmed, but there was a rumor that the Columbine Massacre uh, changed oh. the release date of it. Wow. The film came out. And, and actually flopped and then it found this whole second life on dvd and kind of revolutionized the home media market in that way i think there's a lot to be uh to be said there about what could actually happen i know it's not just production wise but i cheat on these categories anyway most times so that would be my answer wow i, I like both your answers i pr- i would probably still go with alien 3 just because of all the the scuttlebutt that was supposedly mm-hmm. fincher getting told off by producers and he was a new director and he really couldn't do what he wanted. So I really would be curious to see that if his instincts were followed or to know what his instincts were, because it is the only, you know, uh, rotten of, of, of his movies on the rotten tomato meter there. And I just rewatched that one too. It is not good. It is kind of silly. So bad. And it's trying to be so serious. What if the, scene not to spoil anything but the mank scene with drunk gary oldman was just <laughs> literally what fincher did to the fox executives after the end of <laughs> alien 3 shoot 
I feel like that's exactly what he did, yeah. and that's why we got it in Mank, and that's why he went back to do music videos for a hiatus there and only let his dad write his screenplay yeah. after that. Can't blame him. <laughs> but, all right, scroll down a little bit. We're on another serious category. It is Best Supporting Actor, the Best Supporting Actor performance in a David Fincher film. I have these five nominees that I whittled down from a huge list, mm. but here's what I have, guys. I have Forrest Whitaker from Panic Room. Mm-hmm. I have Andrew Garfield from The Social Network, mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. from Zodiac, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt in Seven, and in Category Fraud, I think, Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Interesting. Marty. Yeah, so I think when you have such an incredibly strong four, uh, five like this, my question is, can, could you see anybody else playing the character other than who's Ooh. playing it? And so I use that maybe cheating a little bit to come to Brad Pitt in Fight Club. I just think mm-hmm. that it'd be okay. really tough to find anyone else to do that character. He's so good. I think especially at the end of the film, he can really play up the silliness and the absurdity when he needs to. <laughs> but he also just embodies that at least self-perceived badass thing that Tyler Durden has to have. Like you <laughs> admire Brad Pitt, even if you don't want to, even if your better nature tells you that we're not supposed to like this character. Brad Pitt is just so charismatic. And I think that's one of the reasons that so many idiots misunderstand this movie. It's because Brad yeah. Pitt is just that good. Wow. I think Monty made it, made me change my mind with that pitch. Yeah. I almost did for me too. <laughs> Look, I get it. I think, uh, I think by your criteria, yeah. you're right on. I don't know I have, I have my own criteria that's built yeah. into me. Over however many episodes of Oscar forecasting, though. Mike, Whereas I just go with the wind. It doesn't matter. I have no principles. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, did he change your mind? Or I, I, I tell you, I really like that. I, I was going to make the argument for either Robert Downey Jr. or Andrew Garfield. And Garfield would have been the personal grudge thing. Just, God damn it, why can't you be like this all the time? Because he was so freaking good in social now. I'm going to yeah. stick. I, I, I'll, I'll stick with Andrew Garfield. Hat tip to Robert Downey Jr. for Zodiac, which I do think got him the Tony Stark role at the end of the day. But uh, mm-hmm. as far as Brad Pitt's role in Fight Club, he was responsible for one of my favorite jokes of all time that Stephen Colbert said during the Colbert show once upon a time where he was like, Brad Pitt in Fight Club. I mean, I'm not gay, but I'm human. So that stuck <laughs> with me throughout the years. And he's given me more than I think I could give him in this award. So I'll say Andrew Garfield. All right, so that's wildly different criteria for both of you. <laughs> Actually, one Garfield was going to be my, my number two until I came up with my criteria. Like, he was the one that I was okay. leaning towards just because I, I You know what? You, like... that, that sticks with me because that's I do try to do that when we do, like, category predictions for the Oscars and stuff. And we try to, do, we try to predict, you know, our picks and all that. And that's what I usually do hone in on most. But you brought i'll tell you Marty, you brought a level of seriousness and like integrity to this award show that we haven't had in one of these for a while so good for you the night is young Mike one the night is young yes um i'm gonna pick robert downey jr and if i i think if i recasted mank as somebody it would be robert downey jr oh i like oh, that's that good, too. yeah anyway i i love that performance i'm on the record i love zodiac i'm on the record there as well but all right supporting character you guys would most like to do a movie marathon with. Mm-hmm. We have Tom Burke as or- Orson Welles. Could you fucking imagine <laughs> yeah. sitting through multiple films with? It would take you three days to finish a movie with Orson Welles. Again, there's pros and there's cons <laughs> to all these nominations. That is certainly 
because uh, I almost I almost gave this a true or false. I was like, hey, you go watch a movie marathon with Orson Welles. Or I'm not saying it wouldn't Welles. be valuable. I'm not saying yeah. it's not something I wouldn't want to do. I'm just saying you got to clear your week. <laughs> I want it. I want it to kill the man. And I'm not a violent person. I watched a three-hour documentary about Orson Welles and uh, Dennis Hopper this year. I wanted to reach through the television and strangle him. It was awful. So, I, listen, th- th- again, pros and cons. Uh, second nominee, Meatloaf, a.k.a. Robert Paulson in Fight Club. He seems like a good hang. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of good hangs, Carrie Coon as Margot Dunn in Gone Girl. Mm. Yeah, I think that the answer is a pretty obvious Robert Paulson. I agree with Mike One. Orson Welles would be way too pedantic to do a movie marathon with. I think a certain type of movie marathon would be fun with Margot Dunn. She'd be very sassy if you wanted to trash the films. But I think Mm. if it was just a sit in front of the TV for a good afternoon of some light movies, Robert Paulson is going to make us some snacks. He's going to make sure I'm comfortable. He's going to give me a hug if I need it. Robert Paulson. I'll tell you what infuriates me about this category is I was going to go for the man breast joke and then I saw Marty had already written it down in the copy. So I'm just going to leave it there. He's right. He's just right. You just, yeah, bosom. Um, Carrie Coon is my pick uh, for the opposite reasons. But no, Margot Dunn uh, is a good hang in, in the movie and she seems like a very loyal person. So if I talk some shit about the movies she's watching, she's not going to, you know, out me for talking some shit. She'll and, have your uh, back regardless. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think she would be fun. All right, guys. True or false, the best child actor performance in a Fincher film goes to Kristen Stewart's Sarah Altman in Panic Room. Michael, I think you and I are big fans of this movie. Do you pick, do you, do you agree with me that Kristen Stewart is number one there? So is it me? And I, I think Marty had this too as, as far as uh, writing his copy first, but is it me or is there not that many options to pick from in Fincher films as far as child actors go? Yeah, yeah, I think not not many, but uh, it, it like look. I mean, Fincher understands Hollywood. You don't work with children or animals. Right. He gets it, right? Unless it's a wunderkind, unless it's a pro- child prodigy, like from the Fanning family or a McCulkin or right. Macaulay Culkin, Culkin, a Culkin, yeah, a Culkin, a McCulkin, a Mick Culkin. That's when yes. you order a Macaulay Culkin from McDonald's, by the way. <laughs> I, I think. What I will say about Chris, I mean, the answer is true to me. What I will say about Kristen Stewart and Panic Room is. It's obvious even then. And, you know, maybe you wouldn't have said this during the Twilight years when that's all she was known for. But, I mean, looking now with 2020, 2019 eyes watching Panic Room, it's obvious even, you know, back in Panic Room that she has serious chops at her disposal. I mean, she's going toe-to-toe with Jodie Foster and killing it. She's ready. She's awesome in that movie. And, Marty, um, would you think, like, Ellie Fanning or somebody else has a chance? Yeah, I mean, I just haven't seen Panic Room, so I do have to abstain, but... From what I remember in Benjamin Button, uh, Al Fanning, she's pretty good as a young Kate mm, Blanchett. Mm, mm-hmm. I really can't think of anything else. There's like right. the kids in Zodiac, I guess, that help the dad put their murder book together, which <laughs> father of the year right there. <laughs> but I think you just answered the question or answered the, uh, the the struggle we're having trying to find the child actors in these movies. Let's not put children in these movies. Yeah. They're horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing that or, there's only a few or, kids. Plot twist, reshoot the movie Zodiac using only child actors. <laughs> That's the most fucked up thing you've ever said on this podcast. Again, I can't believe we have Just a kid coming in from the factory after a hard day's work at the end there like John Carroll did. It's my Zodiac oh. watch. 
I collect them. Oh my god. It's made of candy. Dear ch- I never th- watch that movie the same way again. Guys, You're welcome. another serious question. Best supporting actress performance in a Fincher film. We have the nominees of Amanda Seyfried and Mank, Rooney Mara in The Social Network, Oscar-nominated Taraji P. Henson in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Gwyneth Paltrow in Seven, or Carrie Coon in Gone Girl, Madi. I'd give it to Rooney Mara if she had just a few more scenes in The Social Network. Mm. I really like mm. the ones that she's in, but it's just not quite supportive of a supporting actor award for me. So I'm going to give it to Amanda Seyfried. I think she feels like the most supportive. That movie does not work without her. And I think she does a great job at completely changing her mannerisms and her affects to become the Marion Davies character. I don't think she has any classic Academy Award explosive acting scenes, but I think she's great in the film. Again, I will agree with Madi uh, because I think that performance of the ones listed does do the most heavy lifting in terms of the plot of its film. I will say, I think it's a bit of a blight, though, and it's something I'm going to talk about when you talk about lead actress, too, to get a little serious. It's concerning to me that we're talking about one of the greatest American directors, and there isn't more of a wealth of performances in the actress categories here to choose from. I I, I think that's a little... I mean, you know, Carrie Coon was really good in Gone Girl, but I I don't remember any kind of, like, standout scenes from her. Monty just described Rooney Mara, very good in The Social Network, but we wanted more from her. Mike, in our Mank review, my biggest criticism of Amanda Seyfried was I wanted more scenes with her involved. This seems to be a bit of a pattern. It's a little disconcerting, I think, if you look at it all in one picture like this. And uh, to change gears a little bit, you got to give credit to Gwyneth Paltrow. She really attacked that thing with her whole head. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> this is not that section, Mike. Anyway, <laughs> most people should have seen that movie by now. I have to write some weird shit in the show notes. Oh, come on. That's vague. All right. It's vague. All right, fine. Vague. Guys, I, uh, I I have a tough choice here. Yeah, this is not an easy category. There's a lot of Bechdel tests being failed, mm-hmm. and that was, like yeah. you said, Mike, our biggest criticism in the last episode. But I do feel like he writes rounded female characters. He just doesn't write a lot of female characters. Agree, agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, these are all fine choices in terms of what they bring to the table, but it's like every single one of them I could say, well, I want more of her in this. Yeah, Chloe Sevigny was a hard omission from the nominees here in this group as well to Tilda Swinton. But you know what? I think I think the Oscars had it right when they nominated Taraji P. Henson. I wouldn't have expected to pick her going into today because I really love Seedfried. Yeah, and I love Mara in the early uh, going uh, goings of the Social Network. But Taraji P. Henson is pulling off some really difficult makeup. I mean, she's you know just this gorgeous woman and she's playing this old lady makeup by the end of it which is great and she's got these emotional scenes throughout that story which i loved uh in terms of her performance not the movie the movie is absurd total (laughs) poppycock i turn into a british i turn into a british man with a pipe when i uh, criticize a movie that is that silly but it's a pure poppycock anyway I'm going with Taraji P. Henson for that one. Uh, let's get into a weird category because this is the supporting character you'd most want to interview, guys, on a podcast, on your podcast or, or a podcast. Maybe you don't have a movie podcast. Maybe you have a true crime podcast or maybe you just got an interview podcast. Here we go. Mm-hmm. 
Tyler Perry's Tanner Bolt. He has been in some court cases, guys. He isn't gone, girl. Detective Rhonda Boney. How about that name? Rhonda Boney, <laughs> a.k.a. Kim Dickens from Gone Girl. She's seen some things. The Boney character was played by the Dickens actress. All right. <laughs> Justin Timberlake, Sean Parker in The Social Network. That's a four-hour pod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> two army hammers. Two dueling army hammers in this alternate reality as the Vink, the Winklevi. So am I in, getting two army hammers in this interview, or is it just the... Yes. Do I get one army hammer and the other guy who... The other actor who was the body for the Winklevi? If you're going very meta, mm-hmm. then Army Hammer has to play both of these characters across the microphone. So, follow-up question. Can I get one Army Hammer and force <laughs> him to keep jumping in between two chairs that I have set up? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely All you right, can. Uh, finally, Lily Collins has seen some things, too. World War Two <laughs> had to... You know, uh, be there for Mank coming up with Citizen Kane and all the rest. Uh, she is Rita Alexander in Mank. So, Marty, supporting character you'd most want to interview on a podcast. I mean, I love the idea of Army Hammer jumping between uh, between chairs <laughs> over there, like what Mike Wynn is saying. But I think mine is, first of all, I think this is a great question. Great options. Love it. Props to whoever Agreed. came up with this question. I don't know who it is. It'll go unknown. But any one of these <laughs> would be a fantastic interview. I think Tanner Bolt would be a very fun interview. And I think in terms mm-hmm. of getting more information about the Duns, he would be a lot more likely to share things that he probably shouldn't, much more so than Kim Dickens' oh. Detective Boney. So get a little controversial <laughs> podcast guest, get the, get the numbers up, Tanner Bolt. You come out the shoot on the uh, the top the <laughs> Apple Podcast true crime list yeah. with, with a bullet there. I like that. I like that thinking. Fascinating, Michael. My answer is going to be very selfish, but it's going to be Sean Parker, uh, uh, Justin Timberlake as Sean Parker, <laughs> because I would like to know how long I can restrain myself from wanting to leap across the table and strangle him. And I think that'd be an interesting to see what my personal record would be. It's an eleven-second podcast. Yeah, it would not be that long. It'd just be it'd just be the the audio of two grown men struggling in a basement to to fight one another. Yeah. So turn it to your Fight Club. Exactly. Yeah. In a very meta way, this all worked out. Yeah. So if you can fight anybody, living or dead, you would fight Sean Parker. That portrayal of Sean Parker, yes. <laughs> well, I was going to pick Justin Timberlake's character as, out of process of elimination. I feel like Kim Dickens would be coy. Tanner Bolt would just be, you know, he's a lawyer, so he's going to give me the runaround. Yeah. The Winklevi got a, a non-disclosure agreement, I'm guessing, because they took a, a shmillion dollars from uh, Eisenberg slash mm. Zuckerberg there. And I, th- I feel like Lily Collins is very British in that movie and she would be very uh respectful of mank even though mank turns all of his uh friends into enemies so you never know maybe she'd spill the beans but i'm i'm yeah sean parker i think would do the sean-a-thon and i'm probably with you there all right i like the approach that you two both took this as very seriously and i was like who do i want to punch in the face most (laughs) you did you must have watched fight club recently okay best lead actor performance serious question we have Gary Oldman in Mank, Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network, Mm. Brad Pitt in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Edward Norton in Fight Club, and Morgan Freeman in Seven Best Lead Actor, Mati. I'm going with Jesse Eisenberg. I don't know if it's acting. I don't know if he actually is just Mark Zuckerberg with some facial (laughs) reconstruction. Either way, great performance. Uh, again, I am with Madi. I think that is. I, I still 
again, like I said in our Social Network episode, I think he should have won the Oscar. I think he should have beaten Colin Firth. I thought that was the best performance of the year yeah. that year, never mind the Social Network being the best movie of that year. Uh, and I will also thank you also, Mike, for not including Ben Affleck's performance from uh, Gone Girl on this list because I went back to rewatch some of those scenes and I don't think he was very interested in being there. <laughs> Talk about wanting to punch somebody in the face. Yeah. And that's not his fault, or it might be his fault. Anyway... I'm going to go off the beaten path here. I know I just praised Gary Oldman and Mank, and I, I still, you know, I hold as much. But I really loved Edward Norton in Fight Club. I just rewatched it. It's very, very good. Yeah. I think he's stupendous in that movie. Like, that would have been the performance if we had an Oscars podcast back then where I would have been like, this is my favorite performance of the last five years. Yeah. Nominate this all day, every day. It would have been my, you know, I would die on that hill for Ed Norton in that movie. He was so cool. He was so strange. He pulled off everything that movie had to pull off. And uh, that's a, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough category. That's a category worthy of an Oscars podcast. I agree. And that's what leads to my, you know, frustration and anger about where we're going next. Yeah. Best lead actress performance. Some of these were nominated for Oscars, but you're right, Mike, the, the women are not featured in these Fincher films. Unfortunately, alliteration star that i am uh all right best lead actress performance guys rosamund pike in gone girl terrifying you can stop jody yeah i agree stop 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 that's That's the answer yeah no i well all right probably but okay can i just all right jody foster from panic room rooney mara from the girl with the dragon tattoo sigourney weaver alien cube kate blanchett and ben button okay we all pick rosamund pike yeah why? Oh, I did not come prepared for this. No, she's just super great <laughs> at just being scary. She's so intimidating. She is so clearly in control of everything she does. I think she is another one of those uh, actors that just you can't imagine anybody else in that role. And especially being relatively unknown at that moment, going up against Ben Affleck, I think it's just amazing that she pulls off this performance. And I guess not to spoil the movie too much, but she kind of takes control of the movie away from Ben Affleck, which I think is funny and also just a testament to that performance. A thousand percent. I've spoken about that performance and my feelings about how Rosamund Pike doesn't even exist anymore a thousand times on this podcast. I'm still just terrified of the actress because she will always be that character to me. Uh, I do think, though, I mean, look, look at the the lead actor category versus the lead actress, just the nominations. Like, God bless Sigourney Weaver and all she did in the Alien franchise, but Sigourney Weaver from Aliens 3 has to be an option here, whereas, you know, the number five entrant in the lead actor performance was, like, one of the leads from Seven. Which is one of the great, you know, it's it's there's a yeah. definite inequality here between men and women as far as Fincher films go, and it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to say. I agree, and I agree with your choices. I think you guys hit all my reasons. So let's move on uh, to another very serious category: brunch, <laughs> Mary kill, brunch, Mary kill, mm-hmm. Marion Davies and Mank. <laughs> Tilda Swinton's Elizabeth Abbott, who listen, she could brunch. In the curious case of Benjamin Button, I don't know. Brunch. I don't know what. I don't know what you want to pick, but <laughs> Lisbeth Salander in the girl with the dragon tattoo, Madi, you you seem to have you've come very prepared. Yes, for this one. I'm going to marry Marion Davies. She's adorable. I am going to brunch Lisbeth Salander. I mm-hmm. have a good conversation with her, and unfortunately, that means I'm going to kill 
uh, Elizabeth Abbott. I don't have anything <laughs> against her particularly, but I'm a big fan of what Salander does in terms of I don't I don't know is that a spoiler to say what she does to people who are bad people anyways no um, no she's a vigilante <laughs> I mean you know <laughs> anyways uh so yeah that that leaves me with killing poor Tilda Swinton Marty's right but let me tell you about why his reasoning is wrong okay because it's really more of a process of elimination well I think he's right but his reasoning is is I think he's wrong but his reasoning is right so this is interesting huh. okay all right you gotta marry Marion Davis because she will have your back no matter what like she is down for you. She's no. she, she, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Go ahead. All right, fine. Yeah. Finish. She she has your. I mean, you gotta. You know, you gotta. It's it's a part. You gotta give her a little something back. But she if if you're good to her, she will have your back. And you like gotta rig on. elections, and you gotta be a staunch Republican. I mean, she turns you into a Republican, Michael. You're okay with this? <laughs> I'm not here to cast judgments on people's political leanings. I'm just you're here to give you my shallow. opinion. Shallow is what you're saying. You're that. You ha- you have to have brunch <laughs> with Elizabeth Salander. Because you can't kill Elizabeth Sounder. That's no, true. You yeah, you're fucked if you try and do that. Right. So, and by <laughs> process of elimination, then you have to kill Abbott. You have to kill. I can't believe this. I figure the character who has meals with the protagonist, meal after meal after meal for a huge montage, would have been the easy brunch choice. But no, you guys. <laughs> well, you are I, look, far more swayed by your food porn in your Oscar movies than I think and, either of us are. So. Yeah, she made him food in the movie. <laughs> Tilda Swinton is my brunch. Easy. It's no question. Uh, I am afraid of what Marion Davis Davies would make me do, uh, which is a shocking statement considering my other choice, Elizabeth Salander. So I'm going to kill Marion Davies because I don't, I don't want to become a Republican in that instance. I am saying <laughs> I'm going to marry Elizabeth Salander and she's going to keep me safe from all the perils of the world because I, uh, I would trust her in that instance and then she would protect me. I think that what we learned here is that you just you, you can't kill Elizabeth Salander or Salander. She she All just right. you can't do it. We'll agree on that, <laughs> guys. Brunch, marry, kill. You ready? Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt in Seven. Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Good choice. Brad Pitt in The Curious Case of Benjamin <laughs> Button. Solid Marty. rotation. Uh, I'm gonna marry Brad Pitt from Seven. I think. You know, oh. he's got a bit of an unstable marriage in that movie, but maybe he's learned his lesson at this point. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely not going to marry fucking Tyler Durden. So I'm going to just mm. take him to brunch, have a little bro chat with him, and then send him on his way. And that means that I'm going to kill the demon baby, Ben Butts. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to kill him as a demon baby or as an as a old man baby? Um, or what? A man, baby, old. It's wherever wow. we line up in time. I don't know if I have a choice, right? <laughs> the child must burn in a fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is this, Game of Thrones? <laughs> All right. I oh, brunch, marry, kill. Again, I think Brad Pitt as a brunch companion, old man, baby, whatever, he's the perfect brunch companion. He proved that <laughs> in the movie. I don't know what you guys are saying. I am killing Brad Pitt in Fight Club. And, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, marrying Brad Pitt in Seven, he's marriage material there. His job, you know, could make things a little interesting for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't I don't get your reasoning there. I, I just think on the if you don't know what's going to happen uh, in these movies, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess your picks make sense. But, okay, very strange. <laughs> no, my I, pick uh, doesn't make sense if you do know what's happened in the movies, I guess. I, I don't – I don't have an answer for this, but I know I'm fucking Brad Pitt from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
That's fair. I didn't have fuck in there. I didn't add fuck in there. And you brought it down into the gutter. Okay. You have to invite. You have to invite one of these crazy characters to your family's, your extended family's Christmas party. Who could your family survive the best? Charles dances William Randolph Hearst from Mank. He's evil incarnate. Helen the Bottom Carners, Marla Singer in Fight Club. She's going to be an interesting part. So are we just having sex with her the entire time and my family's listening to it? Is that what that means? <laughs> no. She's a guest at the party. Okay. Again. Well, that, I mean, look, I'm just saying, like, what she's most memorable for in that movie, that's that scene. I'm just, you know. Yeah. But it's just, I, I, may, I have a four-sentence-long setup that says they're a guest at the party. You immediately went there. All right. <laughs> Again, Marty, I'm very embarrassed. My face is very red. We have company during these awkward moments. Okay, <laughs> Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas comes over your family Christmas party, but he's in the game from the game. Mm. That's a, that's a prop. He's 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 wound a little tight. All right. right. Tattooed tugboat Captain Mike, aka Jared Harris, <laughs> who's always very drunk from the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Finally, Julia Ormond's Caroline. But here's the thing: she, like the movie. All she does is read from and narrate the curious case of Benjamin Button. So she's only reading the script, or is she narrating what's happening at the dinner table? No, she's narrating from the book, the I curious see. case of Benjamin Button, All which right. is in you know a, whatever Benjamin Button's little book. <laughs> Body. <laughs> well, we saw William Randolph Hearst and how he behaves at parties, mm. and he just mm -hmm. kind of sits there. I mean, yes, he's evil incarnate but he's not evil incarnate at Christmas parties. So I think <laughs> I think I'm just going to have him over. Uh, we won't talk about politics. My family's pretty good at avoiding that. I don't know how that's possible, but it is. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, we're just going to have a pleasant evening with Tywin Lannister, and then he can, you know, all bets are off when he leaves the door. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of the same thinking I was going to say uh, I'd have Tugboat Captain Mike there because <laughs> if there's like an open lush sitting at the table that's like someone that could just take all of my family's judgment and derision and just uh, we could we could all hate him together and that would keep us from being at each other's throats at all times like we are during the holidays so that, uh, for a similar reason I would take the Tugboat Captain <laughs> the Tugboat Captain's underwear is brown and it's not meant to be brown. So that that's a red flag from that movie. And he would just be naked, naked, brown, and drunk in front of my family. They would have issues. I'm just saying. I, like, I, don't, well, I, want, I want my family to have issues. That's I agree. Here's what I'm doing. No offense to my family, but, you know, we've seen family enough this year. And um, Michael Douglas's uh, character from the game, while he's still playing the game, some, something's going to go down where I am on the run with him in Mexico like 20 minutes in <laughs> to the party. So I'm going to be gone on an adventure. And the adventure's a protected one, right? I mean, the gamers are gaming and I don't know. I'm, I'm almost spoiling things. But, I mean, it's not that, is it? I don't know. Dangerous? I, I'm going to be on a, a game with uh, Michael Douglas. He's falling from a skyscraper in the trailer for that movie. I don't think it's all safe and happy dory. It's probably not safe and happy dory. And also that movie is pure poppycock, like I said. So. <laughs> Guys, most overrated, overrated Fincher film. Just uh, I got them listed there. Madi, what's your pick? I think so many Fincher films are rated so highly, but they're still not 
overrated. Like they're just mm. that good. So yeah. mm. my answer is like, I guess a reluctant fight club. I think that some mm. people tend to like, you know, overindulge on how much they love fight club. But yeah. I also think that there's a whole other swath of people especially on Twitter, who completely dismiss it and they're like, fuck club, you know, it's actually bad, which I think is a horrible opinion to have. So, um, you know, I, it's not the best, it's not my favorite Fincher film by any means, but it's still really good. But I guess some people think that it is the best, so maybe that one's overrated. I don't know. I it, It's it's a tough question for one. Madi's reasoning, I completely agree with fight club i feel like kind of gets dismissed as this like oh it's just for film bros and it's not there's it's there's a ton of depth in that movie but at the same time there's a ton of film bros who swear by that movie <laughs> so <Yeah>. it's like <laughs> damned if you do damned if you don't type thing um i think fight club gets a, at least a decent amount of hate I, I i'm gonna say Benjamin Button just based on the Oscar noms it got. Yeah, that's where I'm going too. Yeah, but it's, I mean, that's a tough question because of what Marty said. I think these are all like Alien Three, but Alien Three is not rated, so it can't be overrated, you know. But uh, that, well, I think I guess I'm going to say Benjamin Button. Well, I was going to go Benjamin Button for the rating at the time, but you're right. I mean, its its ratings have fallen down, and Marty's probably right. I mean, Fight Club has been exalted, and yeah, you're you're judging yourself by the crowd or not by the crowd. But then again, a film bro is only a film bro for so long. I mean, once he watches enough movies, he's no longer a film bro, bro. Bro. That I mean, that might be the That's deepest deep, thing you've ever said on this mic. <laughs> the whole thing about film bros, like somebody called us a film bro yesterday on Twitter, and somebody I like, who's it's, I don't know, they're tweeting out there that we were new friends or whatever, but they called us film bros, and we're not film bros. I watch movies six times and I review them. Yeah. I fucking watch a thousand movies a year. I am the nerdiest <laughs> cinephile. You're guy. not. You are. Not I, I, I'll I'll wear it. You are definitely not a film. No, bro. you're not a film bro either. You watch hundreds of movies in a year. <laughs> That is the, know the definition of the fucking term. I'm a little ahead. Well, I know I how to get under your skin other. now. Yeah, call me a film bro. Call me a film bro, bro. Look what will happen. Sweetie Todd, bro. All right. Most underrated Fincher film, Marty. Underrated. Yeah, you guys just said that it was a little overrated. And I guess you're right <laughs> in terms of Academy Awards. But when people talk about Fincher films, I thought that... Curious case of Benjamin Button, a.k.a. Reverse Boyhood, which is what I call it. Um, <laughs> I think I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the movie. It's incredibly long, and I did not yes. feel the length when I watched it. I don't know if I'll watch it again anytime soon, but it is sitting there right outside of my top five, so I didn't get to talk about it in my top five podcast, but it's number six for me. I think it's a pretty well-made film and really... I mean, it's a fucking weird film, but it works for what it's doing. So, you know, underrated. Although I think, again, all of his films are so highly rated that it's tough to pick an underrated one as well. I, I again, think your reasoning spot on. And I mean, Benjamin Button, I, I didn't, I don't have as much hate or dislike for as, as I see other people do. And maybe for that reason, it can't be overrated. So yeah. I mean, I, it's you're right. It's kind of like nitpicking here uh, is it possible that the social network is somehow still underrated like the movie <laughs> oh, is that geez. freaking good right I, I mean like no i, I agree I, with that <laughs> it, it's so good I, I i don't know uh i i can see a lot of his movies 
becoming underrated over time. I think Mank could be. I think Dragon Tattoo could become more underrated. I think Zodiac has been underrated for so long that it's starting to become overrated by how much people mm-hmm. talk about it. Huh. But yeah, like, I agree with that. Like, like Madi, I, you know, I just, this, you're nitpicking here. I don't know which one to land on. What about you, Mike? I'm going to say Panic Room because Panic Room is just like, I think it's downplayed in his in his list, but it's really this perfect little thriller, and it's this little story. It's not a big story. It's the, it is very. They're good. in the one house, and it's just. I rewatched it the other night. It, it is excellent, and the finale, guys. I mean, yeah, Marty, you're in for a treat. Check that one yeah. out. It's it's yeah. Uh, it just hits the spot in terms of a good you know thriller you know monster in the house kind of thing it really works uh and uh david fincher handling a story like that blowing it out jared leto Kristen stewart forrest whitaker you wouldn't expect them to be in that movie because it's so jodie foster centric but they do a great job and uh yeah that's where i'm going i although i I agree with you about benjamin button it's very watchable and Mm -hmm. i i I really enjoyed my watch as well because of how preposterous it was in many ways (laughs) and mike you know obviously we've sung the praises of uh social network and uh i agree with you about zodiac but zodiac is still good every time i mean that's the thing like you can watch zodiac for the 14th time and you still love it so it's it's hard to underrate a movie like that's true okay you guys are hosting a virtual screening of a fincher film for your entire extended family, no kids. Okay. Because okay, I'm not going to subject kids to any of these. <laughs> but you're, you got to host a screening, and you got to subject your entire extended family to one of these movies. Which film, feature film, do you screen for them, Madi? I mean, I think The Social Network is a really easy choice, but I'm going to go with <laughs> Gone Girl just to see them lose their minds at that yes. mid-movie twist. Just yes, so beautiful. Great pick. Great pick. Um, I'm going to go with a double feature of the game and Zodiac back to back, and then I'm going to stand up, murder one of my family members in front of all the others, and run out of the house and leave them to question whether that or anything is real. Jesus Christ. Seven is my answer. No, I think that's really fucked up, Mike. You're, you're coming up with some doozies today. But I think I agree with you. Well, the social network is so down. Plus, I worry about politics with that movie. I yeah. think Gone Girl is I, – I agree with you, Monty. I think Gone Girl would be the crowd pleaser. Yeah, Gone Girl is probably the right answer, If you have, especially if you have family members that haven't seen it yet. All right, final question for the non-spoilers here. We're going forever. <laughs> the next David Fincher film you're going to watch is, Madi. Panic Room. Finish off good. the Fincher filmography, and you guys sold me on it. I'm looking forward to it. Michael. So good. It's so good. Um, probably Benjamin Button again, now that we're talking about it, just because oh, it's wow. been a while since I've seen it. And uh, I remember it being long. I remember I did feel the length of the time, but I also think it might have been one of those that I was like, in the wrong headspace to enter. So I want to give that a fair shake. And my answer is Mank. No, I'm kidding. I watched Mank way too many times last weekend. <laughs> uh, Seven was the only movie I didn't rewatch for this over the last few weeks. Uh, I couldn't really just get it. I can't. I could, you can't passively watch Seven. Yeah. You gotta. You gotta have some popcorn and you gotta you know, put light your cam candles and have your seance beforehand. But okay, spoiler section time coming up. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler. Warning. This is the spoiler section to the Mike, Mike, and Oscar Fincher Award Show Special. We got Madi from Movie Marathoners nice enough to join us and take part in this ridiculousness today. We will be 
possibly spoiling, maybe spoiling some of David Fincher's filmography here uh, in terms of revealing what happens in the plot. So if you have not seen them, you don't want them spoiled for you, go watch every single David Fincher movie right now. <laughs> we'll be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play. If you've seen them already, you just want to hear our thoughts or you're just having a lot of fun with the ridiculousness as we are, this is where you want to be. Michael, take it away. Okay, so Gary Oldman's Herman J. Mankiewicz, we now know that he is prone to drunkenly pitch and pantomime movies at dinner parties. You get him at one of your dinner parties, guys. <laughs> what do you want to see Mank pantomime next? What movie of Fincher's? How many dinner parties and family gatherings do you think we're having that we can we're keep showing all these have, movies? We're about to have... Well, I'm immortal. I just came out of COVID. Yeah, you guys shouldn't do any of this. But it's hypothetical. Hypothetical. You can okay. actually see people person to person, and you have a drunk Gary Oldman gonna pitch one of the Fincher films. Marty, what are you? what is he pitching? As a great scene in Mank, my pitch is the curious case of Benjamin Button. We just talked a little bit about it, but I would love to hear Gary Oldman's visual description of old baby Benny Butts. I think that would be amazing. And, you know, guys, I, like I said, I didn't get to talk about the Curious Case of Benjamin Button and my Fincher thing. So now that we're in spoilers, I just have a question about this whole thing that has bothered me ever since I saw it. So uh -huh. when he was born, he was born as a baby-sized old man, right? I agree. And then I as agree. he grows up, yeah, as he grows up, he becomes a child-sized child elderly man featured mm -hmm. you know little totally baby agree. demon thing but then when he gets really <laughs> old he shrinks back to the size of a baby right which makes no sense to me so shouldn't right. he be a man-sized baby at the end of his 100 percent, 100 percent. he should be a giant baby Thank by you. the end were I, I totally this agree. podcast around when that movie came out i promise you I would have honed in on that one fact and that one question, and it would have just eaten away at me and obsessed over it every episode. I completely agree, Body. That is. Perfect. I wish Michael. podcasts were around back then. Like I would, I would just go off on those movies. I would call every other movie a reverse Benjamin Button, right? Like Boyhood is reverse Benjamin Button. Harry Potter is reverse yes. Benjamin Button with magic. It's all exactly. But it's yeah, yes. Total BS. I, I, I agree with you seriously and jokingly. That works on all fronts. Michael, you have another answer. I'm sorry I took Panic a, room. I'm sorry I just no, threw us no, out the whole No, no, no. You were, that was very much needed to be said, and I'm glad you're the one who brought it up. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my answer is Panic Room, simply because I would love to hear drunk Gary Oldman describing a 90-minute, two-hour movie about a room. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to see him see if he can get organically to the part where Jared Leto has... Uh, braids and cornrows or whether I would have to steer the conversation into one of, the, of Jared Leto having braids or cornrows without <laughs> saying too much to ruin it for Marty here. Yeah, he would turn into his character from uh, what was that uh, Tarantino written film? Good God. Uh, true oh, Romance. True, true Romance. romance yeah. <laughs> he would be true his romance. character from True Romance <laughs> and that would be silly. Alright guys, I, I think I would agree with Marty, unfortunately Mike, uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button but that is that is a great great set of answers all right best twist and again we don't have to give it away but best twist in a fincher film seven fight club dragon tattoo or gone girl Marty. this is like asking me to pick my favorite child but yeah. i think that i just i love the gone girl twist so much especially yeah. because it happens halfway through the movie so you get the whole 
you get the whole fallout of that twist, which is different from things like Seven and Fight Club. And I will say also that Seven and Fight Club, I knew the twists before I saw yeah. the movies. Oh, so no. I don't have a genuine reaction for those. I'm assuming I would have been blown away by them, but I, I don't know. So Gone Girl, no idea about it. First time I saw it in theater, my jaw dropped in the theaters. It's it's one of the best twists, I think. <laughs> Same thing, same reasoning. I knew about Seven and Fight Club going in before I saw them for the first time. Gone Girl, I knew there was a huge twist. And I, then kind of, in some ways that kind of works against the movie, being like, okay, how big could this be? And yeah. then you live through it and it's amazing. So, yeah, I'm with Mott here. This is why I'm a spoiler Nazi, and Michael, <laughs> because I, I enjoyed this, the twist from Seven for the first time without being unspoiled. I, enjoy, I, I, I thought Fight Club was the best twist ever. I never in a million years well, would have guessed it, and I probably should have guessed it, but those are the best twists when, when something like that happens. So I'm going to say Fight Club 7 is a kind of 1A, but you guys didn't experience those for the first time. Gone Girl yeah. uh, Gone Girl certainly is, is a great mid-movie, just a changeover, as they said in Fight Club, but uh, mm -hmm. that, is, uh, that is fascinating to, to hear your perspectives on that. Look... This, this has a second part to this question. The most disturbing twist. We're talking about the gravitas of this twist. Same for Seven, Fight Club, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, Marty. I You really can't get more disturbing than basically anything in Dragon Tattoo, but definitely the ending. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you also pitched this as the twist that is most 2020, and I will just right. say that Ben Affleck in Gone Girl embodies that very 2020 feeling of, yep, this might as well happen. My <laughs> wife might as well have, see, you know, I'll, I'll stop from spoiling, but... <laughs> um, that's a great sale job again. Uh, I'm going to say seven. Just because of the uh, the mental implications that yeah. your mind is left to, to do, like, I, I feel, I know we're in the spoiler section, and I'm trying to tread lightly anyway, but, like, Brad Pitt's life is over. Yeah. Uh, in many ways, both metaphorically and literally. Like, his life is over in a couple of ways, because the, what uh, Voldemort did there was so perfect, so... Uh, I, I I was kind of left stunned, even though I knew the twist. I think it's the most disturbing one. It was still enough to keep me glued to the uh, screen when I was watching it in real time. Wow. So, yeah, I would say Insidious Twist, 2020 Twist, uh, is Gone Girl. But uh, I would say otherwise most disturbing, flat-out disturbing, is probably Seven. I remember just not sleeping after I watched that movie, yeah. going to church after <laughs> I watched that You threw out your movie. DVD, you said. Well, well, the first time, and then yeah. I finally built up the courage to watch it, and it still scared the shit out of me, and uh, for good reasons. <laughs> and I, it still reverberates to today. Like, I watched the other nine over the last three weeks here, nine Fincher films, and I was just scared to watch You know what seven. fucking bothers me about <laughs> Seven, though, Mike? <laughs> Where the fuck? How did that delivery driver know to go there? Right. I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously he was told, but how? Yeah, but right. by who? <laughs> Look, Vold. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of things worked out in that movie. You're just supposed to think he's smart. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> All right. This is a long question. Guys, which Fincher plotline would you prefer to quarantine in as a house guest, as a third wheel? I mean, look, there's a lot of quarantine elements in these, in many of these movies, and I like to impose our own fantasies on top of these scenarios. So <laughs> I think this is, these are the best of the good options. And, you know, that's debatable. But which Fincher plotline would you want to quarantine in as a house guest? Jesus. In, in Victorville, why, while Mank writes Citizen Kane, do you help 
Mank write the movie? Do you sabotage him writing the movie? Or do you just get drunk with Mank for three months? It could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second choice is in Palo Alto. Uh, they are expanding Facebook and, and the social network. They're playing Mario Kart. They're smoking. They're ziplining into the pool. You know, there's pros and cons. I mean, you could help them code, and you can ultimately make a fortune. You could assist them somehow, but the problem is you're probably getting screwed by Zuckerberg out of a greater fortune. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's gonna ha- it's gonna take its toll, and you're gonna make Frankenstein's monster at the end of this, and it's going to have implications on, you know, the world. So do I have to learn how to code to be part of this? <laughs> I don't know. How okay. do you make yourself useful to Mark Zuckerberg, a.k.a. Jesse Eisenberg there? I don't know, Michael, but uh, I think you, you at least you would have the chance to do so. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. N- number three, uh, on a tugboat adventure with uh, old man, <laughs> 70-year-old, 20-something. Brad Pitt, Ben Button, and his tattooed captain, Mike, and his Tilda Swinton Hotel late night brunch, perfect brunch companion that you guys didn't pick somehow. <laughs> um, are you awkwardly and ultimately rejected in your hope for a menage a trois? You want There's that menage a trois? <laughs> old Brad Pitt, you know, Tilda Swinton in makeup. Yeah, all right. Very British, Tilda Swinton. <laughs> uh, who's complaining? Not me. <laughs> anyway, or do you help them as a third wheel wingman? Are you a matchmaker? Again, there's possibilities. You don't have to be a creep about this. So, I mean, you could just have some good conversation with those two, you know, characters. I mean, the that, guy sounds, started... that sounds like hell on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Next nominee. Uh, do you pledge as a member of Project Mayhem in Fight Club? Uh, you're roughing it in that dilapidated house, but there are. I mean, there's tons of camaraderie. There's tons of exercise. There's clarity and purpose. I mean, any good cult, you know, supplies these things. But <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying we should join a meathead fight club cult, but there is beer and there are field trips. And overall, I, I suppose there are worse cults to join if you got to join one. If you pick that one, you need to be put on a list. <laughs> this is that is a red fucking flag if I ever heard one. <laughs> Finally, final final nomination here. Uh drinking vodka in the daytime with Robert Downey Jr. his retirement boathouse in Zodiac. I mean, you could play all the pong you want. You can have all the vodka you want at Yeah, but that's why the Benjamin Button option is ridiculous to pick. Because if you're going to live life on a boat anyway, you might as well chill and get drunk with Iron Man. Yeah. Chase a serial killer. Hey, look, it, it's a problem, though, the amount of drunk uh, you're getting. But okay. <laughs> What's Tilda Swinton going to make me do for all that time? I'm not going to drink? You're going to drink some, but you're not going to drink all. I mean, all right. Marty, who do you who do you have? you got to quarantine in one of these plot lines. I would be a low-level coder for Facebook in the social okay. network. I like Palo Alto. It's a great place to live. I lived there for a summer and it was awesome. Oh, wow. And honestly, I think the thing that we're not thinking about here is that all the other options, you do not have internet during quarantine, which sounds uh, like a goddamn thing. Oh, interesting. Michael, I was going to say it has to be the Facebook one just because you're just you're you're partying and you're on a track. Look, the worst anyone ends up in that movie is a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, poor, you're, poor you're, you're creating Frankenstein's monster, but if you're a millionaire, th- this this 
political system in this country works out for you anyway. Hindsight is twenty twenty, though, and I would be the fool to pick uh, Tilda Swinton and Brad Pitt. And I, there was a, you know, I, I revealed Please myself. Please don't pick that. <laughs> I revealed, I already said I wanted to fuck them both in a menage a trois. I mean, a Jesus, I, I couldn't make myself any clearer. I was Good trying Lord. to lead you both in with me, my disgusting fantasy, but you didn't go there. So again, Mati, you're on our podcast. It got really dark and weird yeah. really quick. And uh, I apologize uh, to for nothing for absolutely nothing. I feel like this whole episode has just been a way for you also, Mike, to, you know, (laughs) get some stuff off your chest about (laughs) how Benjamin Button is the ideal lifestyle for you. I guess so. I mean, I'm psycho. Reverse boyhood. boyhood. I figured that would have been the easy question because those were the good options. Yeah, this this next one's tough. Yeah, what are we going to reveal ourselves now out of these terrible options? Because same question, which Fincher plot would you most like to quarantine in out of these? You're in Neil Patrick Harris's mansion where you could be implicated in various crimes and or games because she's also there as well. I mean, there's games of death going on. So it's the same question, but but five different five different settings. Right. It's the same (laughs) question, but these are the bad settings. I mean, on Hedestad. You, there's a serial murderer on the loose. Uh, there's, there's a mystery with Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara. I mean, they are wild cards. I mean, mm-hmm. look, it is very sexy, very cold, very dangerous. But this is a Swedish island of death in the girl with the dragon tattoo, guys. Uh, panic room. I mean, you're in a panic room with Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart now. Most likely, guys like us are just going to be used as a human shield at some point in this situation. I, I think mean, I'm going to use them as defense. They're going to be like my bodyguards. Are you kidding me? I'm not right, confronting so. Jared Leto with all those cornrows. <laughs> I think Jodie Foster's got things covered. I think you're right. Uh, but you might hurt her chances and therefore get. Uh, I will definitely hurt her chances. Yeah. I mean, you might be the reason Kristen Stewart doesn't make it. So right. there's a lot to consider here. Um, on a pedophile prison planet with a xenomorph. Good. God almighty. Alien Cubed was not a good spot to be in. Anyway, if this was, you know, what is the worst scenario, something from Seven or something from the game. Well, something from the game doesn't really apply because those are like super spreader scenarios with COVID. But Seven, like you could be COVID safe, but you're not safe because you're involved with Voldemort there. So, all right. Best of the bad options. Madi, who do you pick? So I actually watched The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo for the first time today, and I had to okay, stop oh. about halfway through um, to hop onto a Zoom meeting. And so I was working a little bit on this, and I answered this question halfway through The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but I'm going Uh-oh. to commit to it. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> I chose to go on to Hedestad. Uh, there's lots of area to roam. There was a cat. I'm sure Christopher Plummer <laughs> has a bunch of puzzles in his mansion. <laughs> Free healthcare in case I do get hit with the vid. I think this is the way to go. Uh huh. Look, God, Marty always brings in some kind of reasoning that no. makes me like, no. oh, all right. <laughs> no, well, look at you two would be dead meat is what would happen because there's a, a serial killer on the loose. It's not a spoiler for the movie, and he's on that island. And if you're all quarantining, he's he doesn't have a lot of options. He needs to kill and kill again. You're gonna die. Yeah, but let's just say we're not his type. <laughs> Of Maybe. victim? <laughs> yeah, but... Hey, I have a question. Uh-huh. Am I Neil Patrick Harris in this scenario, or no, am I just you're, there? You're also there. It's Mike 1, 
it's her and it's Neil Patrick Harris. E- I mean, easy. That's the easy <laughs> answer because I can I could sell myself to Rosamund Pike. She'd yeah. be like, "Nah, I, you, this is what you got to do." I've seen you it a million times. Would trust her as an ally. <laughs> what choice do you have in that scenario? Well, I'm saying you could pick another scenario. Is what I'm saying. Well, what do you want me to go to the pedophile island? <laughs> <laughs> Not an island, Mike. A planet. A planet of pedophiles. A whole planet. <laughs> My island's not looking too bad now, is it? <laughs> these, these are terrible picks. I think Panic Room's the obvious pick. I mean, like I said, again, you know, be a human shield. I mean, it's the least we can do. <laughs> I would feel terrible because they would definitely end up more hurt than they have to be, and it would definitely be my fault. They would. That, that, would, that would be my only caveat, but uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, that's the situation. <laughs> what a weird question. I'm so weird. Guys, true or false, <laughs> the, be- the best act one, the best beginning of a Fincher film is the social network. True. Yeah, I think so. Mike. What a question. A lot of good starts in these movies, but I think the the social network is something we just praised, though, Mike. It's probably true. Mm-hmm. I'm just re- I'm reliving like Zodiac in my head right now, but yeah, probably true. Zodiac's probably too slow to start. Zodiac is a little slow to start, but it's gorgeous cinematography. Yeah. You know, it's always going to be that. I mean, Benjamin Button is the weirdest act one. Mm -hmm. I want no part of the girl with the dragon tattoos act one. Gone Girls, melodramatic. Alien 3 is a nightmare. Mank is boring. I I tell you, I've never, all these years, I've never even considered Alien 3 a Fincher film. He doesn't even consider it a Fincher film. Right. Yeah, I I think it's between the social network and maybe Fight Club. Yeah, it's got a good opening ending or opening. But you got to stretch the opening beyond the uh, the Fight Club part, and maybe that's Act Two. So I'm going to say that's Act Two. I'm going to say that's like the uh, the Wizard of Oz Kansas sequence where it's everything's normal. So Both have fantastic opening scenes too. They do. Yeah, yeah. It's t- I, I'm going to still say the Social Network. I think I agree. All right, the scariest scene. We have a good scary scene in, in Alien Three. I just rewatched it. The xenomorph comes face to face with Ripley. It's cool. It's a cool. It's a cool visual for sure. In that doctor's office, we have something waking up in Seven. That's my pick. <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. <laughs> Leading question again. Uh, about to get castrated in Fight Club. Very scary. <laughs> uh, the finale of Panic Room. Really awesome. Uh, down in the basement in Zodiac. I mean, there are not basements in California, right? No, I have one. Oh, my God, that guy creeped me out. And he's a film critic, by the way. Anyway, the Neil Patrick Harris scene in Gone Girl. Is it scary, though, or disturbing? Look, Definitely I mean, there's a, there's a lot of disturbing scenes in these movies. Gross scenes, murder scenes. I didn't include those. Just scariest scene. Is it a jump scare? Take the question how you want, Marty. Yeah, I mean, jump scare for sure, the something waking up in seven. But I just mm-hmm. went with the uh, NPH scene in Gone Girl. And it just gets the bump over some of these other ones because that Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score during that scene and the way that it's edited to the the cuts in that thing. Oh, man, I I just can't not think of that scene when I think about some of just the most disturbing, scariest, terrifying scenes in all of these terrifying movies. Emphasis on cuts, huh? 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 All right. I'm sorry. Uh, That's bad. I I apologize for nothing. I think... (laughs) Seven is right, but I was very creeped out when Jake Gyllenhaal is staring into the black basement in Zodiac. Oh, wow. Can you tell I like Zodiac? I was very creeped yeah. out by that. So uh, 
I think I think Gone Girl was most shocking. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it coming, but uh, I think I would say either Seven or Zodiac there. Mm-hmm. Zodiac, that's a great scene. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Seven, when that thing wakes up, uh, changed my life for the worse. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, best middle, best act two in a Fincher film. What do you pick? I've got Fight Club turns into Project Mayhem. I think that the second act of Fight Club is the last time in that movie when you can allow yourself to have fun with what's going on. There's almost kind of a a montage-esque excitement with this act where they're doing these fantastic things and having Mm. a lot of fun with it. Um, And it's before it's explicitly apparent how messed up things are going to become. So that's my pick. Wow. I'm trying to figure out why you wouldn't be right, but I think you are. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with him too. That's yeah. a crazy act too. And that's a great breakdown too by you, Monty. It, it's just it's tough to think about act twos, and the the more I looked through this list, I was like, oh yeah, a lot of these movies I remember for either the amazing setup or being amazing all the way through, right. or the final. So I'm gonna say it's the 1934 gubernatorial race. Pl- no, it was like well, close in all seriousness, second. I was gonna say I, I wonder how that one specifically is gonna hold up as years yeah, pass. Yeah. Here. No, I, I think I th- a Fight Club is the craziest, and it just has such uh, momentum, which is what you yeah. want in an act two, right? I mean, you you want to be hurtling towards the finale. Right. You don't want to get bored in an act two, and unfortunately, Mank got us a little bored. That's why that movie's really, really good, not great. I uh, I think uh, Zodiac's got a ton of momentum. I think Fight Club uh, has got the most momentum. Michael, d- did you say Fight Club? Yeah, I think I agree with Fight Club there. All right. Best murder mystery. There are four big ones. Seven, Zodiac, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Gone Girl. I think this is such a hard question because these are all really great films and they all have murder and mystery in them. But when I think about murder mystery subgenre, the only one that really, really fits in that there is a murder and then there's a mystery to who did it and you have all the suspects given and one of the characters that you've met is the culprit. For me, it's the girl with the dragon tattoo because there is an end that I think is relatively satisfying and it does follow that very specific subgenre setup. Um, I, If I had to pick between these four in terms of like a crime film or something, I really love Zodiac. I think the way that film ends is super unsatisfying as a murder mystery, but as Mm -hmm. a film and, uh, you know, just a general film, I think that that's an amazing ending to that movie. Michael. Seven and Gone Girl are very unique in that they kind of give away their mystery halfway through. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. Zodiac is I gotta rewatch Girl with the Dragon Tattoo because I do not remember most of it. But Zodiac, I totally agree with Mati again. It's very unsatisfying in terms of if you view it as a murder mystery. It's kind of more just a crime a police procedural. Um man, tough question. I'm gonna go with Gone Girl just because I was most shocked at the reveal of that one, I think. Wow. So when I saw the Swedish uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo with uh Numi Rapace I thought uh, that one just knocked me over. I ended up reading all three books afterwards, and uh, I was really into the uh, the David Fincher version. I, you know, that movie's tough to really get into. That story's tough to get into. But uh, I'm a sick bastard, and I did. <laughs> no, I, I, th- I remember walking out of the. I walked out of the theater almost every time when I knew what scenes were coming because it's so gross. 
So I, I keep doing that. I keep fast forwarding. I can't rewatch that shit. But in terms of like once the murder mystery gets going, it's 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 really excellent. And uh, I'm gonna say Zodiac though. I, I know it's a different kind of murder mystery, but it is perhaps the most satisfying to me because of the deep dive that that one you know entails yeah. because i've gone like i my first part of quarantine was trying to figure out if bigfoot was alive that was like first two months <laughs> my next two months my next two months was trying to figure out the zodiac who you know the zodiac killer was and i was watching the zodiac and i was listening to two podcasts on it and there was that show on fx and that book that I read, I just went on a deep dive and it was quarantine and I was trying to figure out who he was. And if he ran for president in 2016, the joke you made on your show, Monty. <laughs> he did. I was going to make another one right here. So <laughs> Sorry, I stepped on <laughs> But all right. So I'm going to say Zodiac. I think that last scene is my favorite last scene of, of a lot of movies. And I will say that. Guys, funniest scene. And there are not many here. But funniest scene in a Fincher film. As a slight Mank spoiler, we have Mank's friend Shelley telling him this sob story that he has sold his soul to advance his career when in fact it is a futile gesture because gesture because he now has Parkinson's. And then Shelley painstakingly describes to Mank how Parkinson's is going to slowly immobilize and eventually kill him. And of course Mank says well, you can always produce. <laughs> I was dying. I was dying when he said that. Uh, the shot of the blue drank aqua velvas on the bar room table between Jill and Hall and Robert Downey Jr. and Zodiac. I'm still laughing mm-hmm. about that. That's good. Or when I looked down at my belly as Brad Pitt was shirtless in Fight Club. Funniest scene. Funniest Jesus Christ. <laughs> Marty. You got a dark sense of humor there, man. Um, <laughs> I think that the the Aqua Velva shot is so funny. I like genuinely right. laughed out loud when I watched that the second time. And I'll also just give a, a personal special shout out to Zuckerberg shitting on Rudy Mara going yeah. to BU at the opening of the social network. I went to BU, and I think the first time that I saw this after I had gotten into BU, I was like, that's offensive. And then now I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, shit on us. We're idiots. Who cares? And it was really funny. I'm glad. Uh, Mike, do you have an answer? All of Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think Marty, I, I am going to ride his coattails uh, one final time here. Uh, I, that that blue whatever scene <laughs> when they have that cut there, it's so well done. And I remember laughing out loud in the theater the first it- time I saw it. Incorrect. It's my belly. Uh, yeah, right. Of course. List, but all right. I want to be invited back, so I didn't say that one. <laughs> Last question, guys. This was a marathon of a different sort, Madi, but we really appreciate you being here. Last question, and this is different from the whole twist question, but you can incorporate the twist aspect if you would like. But the best finale or act three of a Fincher film is, Madi? Seven. It has one of the best 30 minutes of any film. I think Mm. the second that John Doe shows up at the police station and screams Brad Pitt's name to the second that the screen goes to the credits, you just can't look away. It's tense. It's dark. It's incredibly depressing and uh, very negative outlook on life. But it's also, like I said earlier, just a brilliant twist. And I think it actually has something to say about the themes of the movie on top of just being a holy shit moment. So I love the end of Seven. Mike I think I'm going to go for Zodiac Uh, I think the empty feeling you feel there is uh, intentional it's purposeful and it really it's how you most relate to 
what must have been going through the minds and, and hearts of the detectives working on this case for decades as it was depicted there. Uh, it was kind of a subversion of uh, expectation for a, move, a movie like that, a crime procedural, especially one investigating a, a serial killer like that that's done so much evil. You always want the bad guy to get caught, and so mm. when you don't have that satisfying ending, uh, it's, one, tricky to deal with it as a director, I'm sure, but two, and for storytelling purposes, uh, but two, it's not something you come across as a viewer. So uh, Fincher doing that to a satisfactory end, I thought, uh, you know, you felt hopeless and you felt empty, but that's how you were supposed to feel. And for him to pull that off, I thought was truly incredible. So you guys remember when I said I wasn't a film bro, right? <laughs> no, look, I look, I don't love Fight Club. Like it's probably on the edge of my top five, but I love that ending and I love that Pixie song. And it is like my favorite thing of the nineties, maybe. I mean that and like if I did a nineties VH one episode if I was a curator of the 1990s, for whatever reason, I would probably have that Madonna video or the, the, that uh, that Paul Abdul video, even though I think they're both late 80s, but fine. And I would have uh, I would have the ending of Fight Club in the time capsule for the late 90s. I just think that I just I just remember it so well. And it's incredible, and I hope or kind of hope it really happens in in real life in a way, especially with uh, where my finances are at. But guys. This was you want Ed Norton to kill himself? No, the, the, oh. the rest of the Ed the Pixies part. Again, I get, look, all right, fine. It's Fincher movies. These are dark. You can misinterpret if I use the improper pronoun. No, Spoiler adjacent. I, I, I get what you're going for. I think that was, I was just me being a jackass. That was very, very eloquent by you, sir. Guys, this was a lot of fun, though. This was a ton of fun. Props to you, Michael, for coming up with these, as you always yeah. do. You always uh, impress me with these award shows. This is purely out of your creativity, and I uh, cannot give you enough credit. And I cannot thank you enough, Marty, for uh, joining us for this truly ridiculous uh, exercise in <laughs> absurdity. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. This was so fun. Um, I love your podcast, and I love being a part of it. So I'm just really thankful that you guys brought me on here. And it was so, yeah, I don't know, it was so fun. I hope we didn't scare you away too much. Uh, Marty, why don't you uh, drop your socials one more time on the outro here for the good people? Yeah, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter at MovieMaraPod. I tweet things that I think are funny but clearly are not. And uh, <laughs> and you can find Movie Marathoners on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're, you're listening to this podcast now. And as far as any other comments, questions, or concerns you may have for Mike or myself, dear listener, as well as thoughts on if we got any of these winners wrong in this episode for these categories, let us know. Leave us those on our socials. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on the Twitter machine or Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com. Michael, tell the good people what's coming next from us and let's have some words of wisdom to, uh, to wrap this up. So the words of wisdom are follow and subscribe to Movie Marathoners, Monty's podcast there. We love it as well. He's got the greatest theme song in the business and he's one of the best <laughs> yes, hosts out there. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, great job. Great job this month. And you got a lot of Fincher content, Mank content coming very soon, probably a little bit before uh, us releasing this episode. We're recording this in advance. But uh, follow and subscribe to Madi there, guys. In terms of MMO, we got some Christmassy stuff coming, but we also got a ton of December films, Oscar contenders to review from Ma Rainey to Promising Young Woman, from Soul to News of the World. 
One Night in Miami, so many movies that Mike and I are going to weigh in on and give you know full Oscar sprint profiles to. We'll also have our new show, our Oscar race checkpoints coming at you quite often. That is a track-themed uh, episode title there for you, Madi. Uh, it's not, a, not an accident. So, uh, again, thank you for, for being here today. This was a blast. Yeah, thanks, guys. Hey, uh, when reality sucks, guys, dear listener, you can come watch these movies and have some ridiculous award shows with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar with Madi of Movie Marathoners Pod, trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.